If you would, go with me to the book of Romans this morning, Romans chapter 13. It's been several weeks since we've been in Romans together. And so I'd like to just go back just a little bit and remind us of the context, the setting where we are in the flow of the thought of Romans. Beginning in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul made a turn more towards applying the gospel to our daily life. Romans 1 through 11, he laid the foundation for the gospel that has been wrought for us, accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, and that we can be justified, declared righteous before God on the basis of Christ's finished work through faith alone. And in Romans chapter 12, he begins then to to show us how the gospel then, which has transformed us by the Holy Spirit, then begins to, to show itself, to live itself out in our daily lives. And so he talked about the fact that our, our whole minds are in the process of being conformed to the will of God. He talked about the fact that, that our bodies, everything that we are, our whole selves, are an act of worship as a sacrifice to God. In verses 3 through 8 of chapter 12, he applied the, the uh, effects of the gospel to the church and the way that we relate to one another in the body of Christ and the way that we use our different gifts and the way that we humble ourselves before one another. And then throughout the rest of chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, Paul was basically showing us in very specific ways how love for one another is to be lived out. And then in chapter 13, 1 through 7, the last passage that we were in together, Paul directed our attention to the way that we live as citizens in society, and that as Christians, we're under obligation to obey the laws of society, to obey the rulers that God in his providence, in his sovereignty, have placed over us. Beginning now in verse number 8, Paul, I believe, is turning his attention back more toward the broader theme of love toward one another, love for neighbor. And so these next few verses have more in common with the end of chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, in which Paul was laying out, here's how you love, here's how you you live with one another in daily life. So verses 8 through 10, I think, are more closely linked with that section on love in chapter 12. But Paul does make a very subtle connection between what he was just talking about with our duty, our obligation to our governmental authorities, and what he's going to tell us about love in verse number 8. Because in verse number 8, he says, let no debt remain outstanding. Literally, owe no man anything. And that, that idea of being in debt, that idea of owing someone something is directly linked, at least verbally, with the idea of paying our taxes in verse number seven. So that link is what joins verses seven and eight together. And so just as we owe revenue, we owe taxes, we owe payment of obligations to our civil authorities, so also now he turns more to the broader arena of our relationship with one another and says, we owe other people love. So just as we owe our civil authorities taxes, in a much broader application, we owe everyone love. 
and we're under obligation to love one another. And I think this turn back toward love for one another also prepares the groundwork for what he's going to do in chapter 14 and 15. Which in chapter 14 and 15, it's fundamentally about how we relate to one another when we differ about how God wants us to live our faith out. In, in certain areas in which there's dispute about whether this is something that we should obey or not. So he's, we'll look at that in chapter 14 and 15, but he's laying the foundation here of love for one another to undergird that in the way that we relate to one another when we have disagreements about how to obey the Lord. But let's read these verses together in verses 8 through 10. And we'll see what Paul is teaching us about our obligation to love one another. He says, let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for these next several minutes that we have together as we read and meditate on your word. Father, I pray that even though there are many, many things that our minds are weighed down with worries and cares and tasks that need to be accomplished. Father, just for these next few moments, let us focus our attention on your word. May our eyes be open. May our ears be open. May our hearts be attentive. May your spirit teach us and may he apply these words to our lives. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. The first thing that Paul teaches us in this passage is that love is a never-ending obligation. Love is a never-ending obligation. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. Literally, a more formal way of translating that would be, owe no man anything. Now, some have taken that, owe no man anything, and have suggested that what Paul is teaching here is that Christians should never be in debt. And I've heard people defend that position from Romans 13, verse number 8, that Christians should not go into debt to anyone at any time for any reason. And I don't think that's what Paul is teaching in this passage, for a couple of reasons. One is that that idea of Christians never being in debt, it doesn't fit with the whole teaching of Scripture. Because we have other places in Scripture where it assumes that God's people are in debt to others. And so there's not a problem with debt per se, but there is a problem with not paying our debts back. And so it's not that we can never be in debt to someone and owe them money. The problem is when we renege on those responsibilities when we don't carry them out faithfully. And another reason why I don't think that's Paul's point here in verse number 8 is really he's just using the idea of debt and owing someone something really as a bridge to get to his main point. 
And his main point is not about money. His main point is about love. His main point is about love. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt, the perpetual debt to love one another. So he's just using the idea of owing someone something to bridge us to the main idea, which is that we, are, we have a constant perpetual obligation to love one another. So just think of it in terms of an analogy. Any debt that you have, whether it be a, a financial debt or maybe a promise that you've made, there is a time at which you can fully satisfy that debt, right? So you can pay that off. We have a car loan and, and you've got you know, monthly payments that have to be made. Well, when you get to the end of however many months that is, you send in the last check, you make the last payment, and, and that obligation is done, right? And so you fulfilled that obligation. But when it comes to love for one another, there's a sense in which you're always in debt. There's a sense in which you always have that obligation to love one another. And if you think about it, that that obligation that we have to love one another will never end. Never. There are some things in our lives that will end when Christ comes back. And when at the resurrection, when we are renewed, glorified, transformed into the new bodies and, and go into, the, into heaven, into new heavens and new earth, there are some things that are going to change. But the obligation to love one another... That won't even change in the new heavens and the new earth, will it? We will always be, as the people of God, in this mindset of caring for and loving for one another and putting others' needs ahead of our own. That will never, ever end. Love goes on for all of eternity. And so Paul is teaching us here that we have a never-ending obligation. And in verse 8, he says... To love one another. Now, usually when Paul uses that phrase, one another, in his letters, usually he has in mind, first and foremost, brothers and sisters in Christ. Usually he has the family of God, Christians, and our, our duty to love one another within the family of God. That's usually how he uses the phrase one another. But I think in this particular passage, in this context, I think he's meaning it broad, more broadly. And I think he's meaning it just in terms of our fellow man. And one of the reasons I think that is because of the examples of the commands that he gives in verse 9. So it goes back to the Ten Commandments to illustrate different commands that are summed up in love. And these commands that he gives, these are things that we owe not just to fellow believers. These are things that we owe to all human beings. So to, to not commit adultery, to not murder, to not steal, we owe that to every other human being on the planet, don't we? And then also another reason why I think Paul's application is broader than just the family of God is because in verse 9, he quotes from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember in the Gospel of Matthew, we read it just a few moments ago, when one of the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, really as a test, to try to trip him up, but Jesus wisely answered, as he always does, and he said, this is the greatest command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, 
That's a quotation from Deuteronomy 6. Then the second command is love your neighbor as yourself, which is a quotation from Leviticus 19. In the Gospel of Luke, when that question is asked of Jesus and Jesus gives that response, love God, love neighbor, the the Pharisee seeks to justify himself and says, well, who is my neighbor? Hoping and thinking that Jesus coming from a Jewish perspective, this Pharisee coming from a Jewish perspective, that in limiting neighbor, it would be my fellow Israelite. The others who are like me, the others who are the the children of Abraham, the covenant children of God. But Jesus tells a story that we all know, and it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And in that telling of the Good Samaritan, Jesus has a priest walk by, a Levite walk by, and all of these who would normally, you would think, they should be the ones who should love, they pass by and ignore the man who's beaten, lying on the side of the road. But who stops and helps? It is a Samaritan. And in those days, there was no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated one another. They despised one another. They didn't get along. Jews, if they were going from Judea to Galilee, they would rather go around Samaria than go through it. And Jesus uses that illustration to show that the definition of neighbor is basically anyone. It's not confined to just Israelites. It includes Samaritans. It includes Gentiles. It includes people who are not like you. And so taking that application of Jesus and also looking at the way these commands are to be applied, I think Paul means it that we have an obligation to everyone to love them. Even the people that are not easy to love. Remember chapter 12 when he said, if someone does evil to you, how are we to respond? With good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Keep coals of fire on their head. Bring shame on their head for the way that they've been treating you. But we are to be people who love, and it's a perpetual obligation, and Christians are to be known by love as our primary attribute as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's a perpetual obligation that we have. Secondly, I think this passage is teaching us, Paul wants us to understand that love is not only a never-ending obligation, love is also the law's summation. Love is the law's summation. He says at the end of verse 8, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The idea of fulfillment is bringing something towards its intended goal, accomplishing its intended purpose. And then he gives several commands, verse 9, commands that we all know, very familiar with from the Ten Commandments. And these are just a sampling. He says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. And he says, and whatever other command there may be, meaning this isn't exhaustive. We could bring other commands of God into this list, but they're summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So love for one another is a proper summation of the law and is a fulfillment of the law. That's why Jesus could say in Matthew 22, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these, he says, hang both the law and the prophets. Meaning these two commands are the foundation for and sum up what the scriptures are all about. So love is a good summation of the law. Now, that doesn't mean that the individual commands are not important. Right? Because some might go to this passage, and and I have seen people do this, where they say, well, what's really important is to love one another. Let's not get all bogged down in the, you know, the dotting the I's and crossing the T's and and what these commands teach and which ones we are to apply. Really, the the main idea is that we are to love one another. Well, and that's certainly true that the main idea is that we are to love one another. But let me ask you this. How do we know what that looks like? How do we know what it looks like to love one another? That's where the more specific commands, like he lists in verse 9, that's where those come into play. They teach us what love looks like. So it's not like you can just say, okay, I'm going to have love, and then the rest of these commands, the rest of these words of God are not important. Since this is the the fulfillment, since this is the summation, I don't need the details. And that's the wrong way of understanding the Scriptures. It's the wrong way of understanding what Paul wants us to think in verse number 9. Yes, love is the the summation of the law, and it holds it all together, but that doesn't mean that we don't need the individual commands, because the individual commands are also words of God, aren't they? These are also words of God. So when Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, he didn't mean you can throw out the rest of the law and the prophets. No, he says the law and the prophets hang on these. You still need the law and the prophets. In fact, in Matthew 5, he says, Not one jot, not one tittle of the law shall pass away till all is fulfilled. I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So there's still an ongoing abiding application of and use of the law of God in its specifics. But Paul just wants us to see that love is the proper summation of it all. Love is what holds it all together. So don't have the mindset of, we don't need the details, let's just love. Well, we have to know how to love. We have to know how to put it into practice. And the individual commands help us to see that. Thirdly, I think Paul is, in a way, I think, bringing us to this thought that love is the most supreme motivation. Love is the most supreme motivation. So love is a never-ending obligation. Love is the law's summation. And love is the most supreme motivation. He says in verse 10, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What's really at issue in love and in the specific commands of the law is how we treat one another. How we treat one another. And the most powerful motivation for obeying the law of God, the most powerful motivation for not committing adultery, for not murdering, for not stealing, the most powerful motivation 
is love. So not only does love sum up the commands and give us their ultimate fulfillment, love also, I believe, provides us the the purest and highest motivation for obeying those commands. We were talking about this in our Sunday school class just a little while ago, and I was talking about the fact that there are, there are different motivations for obeying, right? There are different motivations. We might, we might do what's right, or we might obey out of a sense of duty, a sense of obligation. We might obey, we might do what's right out of a sense of fear, of punishment or repercussions, we might obey or do what's right because we see that in the end there's, there's some self-interest, something that's going to come back around to our favor if, if we do that thing. So there's lots of different motivations, but the highest motivation, the purest motivation is love. The purest motivation, young people, for obeying your parents is love for God and love for your parents. The purest motivation for doing a good job at work is love for God and love for your fellow man, for your employer, for your coworker. That's the purest motivation. Now, there are other motivations. You know, we want to do a good job so that maybe we can get a raise. We want to do a good job so that we don't get fired. We want to do a good job so that life isn't miserable for us with our coworkers. There are lots of motivations, but the purest one and the one that will keep you going the longest and fuel you the most is love. Love for God and love for one another. So my prayer for us is simply this that we would love one another. That's pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty simple. It's pretty basic. It's a never-ending obligation. It really encapsulates, sums up, really what all of Scripture is about, all the law and the prophets. And it's the most, most pure motivation for helping us to do what's right, to follow God and to love one another. So that's my encouragement. That's my prayer. Love one another. And that's what Paul is teaching us in this passage. But, again, the difficulty is not in the understanding, is it? The difficulty is in the application. Because every morning that we wake up, the first person we think about is ourselves. Generally speaking, there might be some days where you wake up thinking of someone else. Most days, we think about ourselves. Most of the things that we decide to do throughout the day, we have ourselves in the center of our focus. Our natural inclination is self. It takes a work of grace. It takes the abiding grace of the Holy Spirit but it also takes grace-fueled effort on our part to love one another and to seek to put other people ahead of ourselves. And so with all of the diligence, with all of the effort, with all of the energy that the Spirit provides, may we work toward, may we strive for love for one another. 
And may we be faithful in showing the love of God toward us in the way that we love one another. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you that you have loved us first. We thank you that you loved us when we were unlovely and when we were sinners. Lord, you have called us to become your holy people. And a part of that call is a call to love. A call to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. A call to love our neighbor as ourselves. A call to put the needs of others ahead of our own. A call to put the wants and the desires of others ahead of our own. Father, we need your help for that. There are many times when we fail and we need your forgiveness. And we thank you that you have given us forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the one who has loved perfectly and purely. We're thankful that his love and his righteousness stands on our behalf. Now, Lord, as your people, as your children, help us to model that kind of love in the way that we treat our family, in the way that we treat our neighbors on our street, the way that we treat uh, the, the person that we meet at the store, the person that on the road that we're driving next to. Lord, may we love because you first loved us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.